Well, hey, Chapel family, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room as well. And uh, man, this has been a fascinating journey, walking through week by week, chapter by chapter, this incredible book of the Bible we call Ruth. And uh, that's chapter two, where we're going to kind of land and focus uh, this weekend. But if you've missed out on a week somewhere along the way, uh, one, you can always go back and and, uh, check those out online But let me give us uh, three reminders of three key lessons that we've learned thus far in the book of Ruth, okay? First lesson is that God's providence is in the background of this entire story. And the first week we learned that providence, it's God's wisdom, his care, his guiding, his leading, his opening doors, his opportunities, that even when we don't sense him, he's at work. And even though we don't hear God speak In the book of Ruth, his fingerprints are all over it, just like his fingerprints are all over your life and mine. That's the first lesson that we learned. The second lesson that we learned, we really focused in last weekend to discover that Naomi is expressing herself through lament. Naomi is this dear woman that has lost her husband, Elimelech. Not only that, she's lost two sons. And she is broken, and she's hurting. She's mourning and grieving, and she's angry. And what we learned last weekend is lament is what we do when we're living in between the messy tension between our troubles and our trust. Being real about the troubles, (laughs) but seeking to trust God in the midst of those and being honest about them. And we learn that God invites us Just like Naomi lamented before others and before God, he invites us to lament before him. That leads us to where we're kind of landing this weekend. And at this point in the storyline of of Ruth, Naomi and Ruth are headed back to Bethlehem. There's been a great famine in the land. Moab, which was where, where they had gone to, was suffering. And so Naomi decides, let's go back to Bethlehem, my hometown, because I've heard that God is blessing and there's crops there and maybe we can find food. And one of, one of Naomi's daughter-in-laws, Orpah, she chooses to stay behind in Moab, really at Naomi's direction. In fact, she, she told her daughter-in-laws, like, you've lost your husbands, I'm, I'm just a widow now as well. You'd be better off to go back home and maybe you can find someone else to marry and and you can be provided for. And last weekend we saw how Ruth was committed to Naomi. We we read those powerful words of hers when she said to Naomi, uh, your people will be my people. Where you go, I'm going to go. And your God will be my God. And so now we find Ruth and Naomi back in Bethlehem, and they're getting situated, and they're in great need. They have very little resources. And this is Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. It says, One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain that are left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Now in that day, there was actually a law in Israel, that when you harvested your fields, that you were to purposefully miss some spots, leave the corners, uh, leave some leftovers. Why? Because there were so many poor people. And the heart of God 
has always been to supply for the poor. And he counts on his people to be faithful, to be a part of that process. And so here, uh, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, let me, let me go out to the fields. Let me see if I can find some leftovers to provide for us, for you and me. Well, Naomi responds and she says, all right, my daughter, go ahead. And so it says, Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. Verse 3, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to a man named Boaz. It says, and as it happened. She just so happened to end up in the field of Boaz, who was the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. And here again, we see God's providence at work. It didn't just happen. God caused it to happen. He was going to use this situation, as we'll see in the next verses, to provide for Ruth and Naomi in a strategic and grace-filled way. It says, now there was this wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Verse 1 tells us a little bit about this new character in the story that we've been journeying on. Boaz. Uh, Yes, he was a relative, and that's going to become very significant for the rest of the storyline of Ruth that we'll get into in the weeks to come. But what we also learn in these verses about Boaz, it says that he was wealthy and he was influential. Now the question is, when somebody has great wealth and power and influence, what will they use that wealth and power and influence for, right? And oftentimes, uh, the power, the wealth, it can quickly go to our heads and it can also infect our hearts And what our life becomes about is just more wealth and more power and more influence. It's it's used for self-promotion. And uh, somebody with great wealth and power many times then begins to use people so that they can continue to get ahead. Sometimes lording their power, lording their influence over other people. But sometimes you find someone its heart has been changed. And they choose to use their wealth and their power and their influence, not just for themselves, but for the sake of others. And that is Boaz. Let's look on in the story. It says, while she was there, that is, while Ruth was in the fields gathering some of the extras, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. Now, to me, this this starts to give us a picture of Boaz's heart. That there was a, a kindness, a love, a generosity, a care. Because it says he arrived and he started greeting the harvesters. I mean, Boaz is the big dog. Like, he's the owner of it all. And yet, he stops to take notice of the lowlies that are in the fields harvesting the grain. And it says, he said to them, the Lord be with you. Now, I don't know too many people that show up at work in the morning and their boss is like, hey, Joe, the Lord bless you. (laughs) But that was Boaz. It points to what was going on in his heart, his own relationship with the Lord. And remember, he noticed he noticed the harvesters and he greets them in this way and they greet him back. 
I was thinking about this this past week. Um, our oldest daughter, Lainey, she just finished her junior year of college. She is a, she just started a new internship opportunity at a local hospital. And uh, I think it was like the second day that she had worked, she thought, well, I've worked a day, so I'm going to reward myself with a coffee before work. So she stopped at the coffee shop, and while she was there, she recognized the CEO of the hospital. And he recognized her. And he stopped. And he said, hey. And he called her by name, and he, he, he said, I heard, I heard you started this week. And Lainey was like, oh, yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. And quickly he said, oh, no, no. He said, that was all you. They raved about you. And I thought to myself, the CEO stopped to show value to an intern who happened to be my daughter. And this is Boaz. Stopping, showing value, blessing the harvesters. It says something, you guys, about his heart and how he used his wealth and how he used his influence. Now let's read on in the story. Verse 5, it says, Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Now if you have your Bible open or you've got an app out and you can highlight or circle You need to circle that question. You need to highlight it. Who does she belong to? Because that is a very important question that he posed. Who does she belong to? This also shows that uh, he knew his workers because he knew that there was somebody working in his field that he didn't recognize. It wasn't one of his. And here's this Moabite widowed woman collecting on the corners of his field, and he wants to know, who does she belong to? The foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather the grain behind the harvesters, and so she's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. So the foreman explains to Boaz, the field owner, who this person is in his field, taking up some of the extras. And his question, remember, is, who does she belong to? Now, J.D. Greer helps us here and kind of highlights three strikes that Ruth really had going against her. You see, in that day and age, when somebody asked, who do you belong to, it usually implied, it was like a, Who's that? Who's she? Where, did she? where did they come from? And the answer to the question, who does she belong to, honestly, from the majority of the people of that day, would be, well, she's a nobody, and she doesn't belong to anybody. Because of these following reasons. Number one, Ruth was a Moabite. And the Jews regarded them as a cursed people. In fact, the Moabite nation was birthed out of an incestuous relationship. And and they they were looked down upon. They were considered idol worshipers, pagans. And now Ruth is there with her mother in law, Naomi, and she's out in the field of this Jewish person in a Jewish nation that worships and loves one true God. 
And she's probably being judged. She's a nobody. She's an outsider. Number two, she was a widow, which in that society meant her value was basically nothing. It was such a patriarchal society that if you weren't married, basically you were poor. You were alone. You were forgotten. You had no way to provide for yourself. Which leads to the third strike against Ruth is that she was poor. And yeah, we understand the circumstances. I mean, she's lost her, her grandfather and or her father-in-law and her own husband. And in that day, if you were poor, you were harshly judged. They considered poverty a sign that you had done something wrong to offend God. And that God, the reason that somebody was poor was because God was obviously punishing them. Now, it's possible that sometimes that does occur. There are consequences to our life choices. But Jesus said, you'll have the poor with you always. And not everybody that's poor is poor because they're making bad choices. And Ruth was poor. Three strikes against her. Every reason, when, when, when Boaz asked the question, who does she belong to? Everyone would have said, she's a nobody. She's an outsider. She's a foreigner. She's an outcast. But let's look at Boaz's response. It says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, I love that. We're going to see that phrase come up again and again. This, this familial care and kindness that Boaz extends to Ruth. Listen, my daughter. He says, stay right here with us when you gather the grain. Don't go into any of the other fields. Now, there was a reason why he told her this. He said, stay right behind the young women that are working in my field. In a sense, Boaz was saying, listen, Stay with these girls. Have community. I'm inviting you into community with other women that are doing the same thing as you. And I want you to be provided for. He says, see which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow after them. Hey, they know what they're doing, so follow along. And what we find out later in the story is that Boaz told his harvesters, hey, by the way, intentionally drop some of the grains as you go along. Why? For Ruth and for Naomi. He goes on. I've also warned the young men not to treat you roughly. So Boaz provides protection now. He knew that this young widow, desperate and poor, could have easily been taken advantage of. And yet God's heart is always for the widow and for the poor. And so it was with Boaz. He says, I've warned the other guys, nobody lays a hand on you. Nobody messes with you. Because when he asked the question, who does she belong to? And everybody else would have said, nobody. She's not from around here. She doesn't belong with us. She's a Moabite. I think Boaz's response is, no, she belongs to us. Because she belongs to God. You see, Boaz, he knew that every human life, regardless of what color a person's skin is, 
what their socioeconomic status might be. Who they were, where they came from, what they had, been, what they had done, what their track record was. That every single person still has value because every person is created in the very image of God. And he says to, says to uh, Ruth, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you for what you've done. He saw her commitment to Naomi and how she had been working so hard in the fields to provide. And he says, may the Lord bless you. The, the Lord under whose wings you've come to find refuge. You're looking for God to care for you. And Boaz, in a sense, was saying, I'll be God's wings. I'll care for you. And we're going to see this flesh out step by step in the rest of the storyline of Ruth. But I wonder, do we sometimes categorize people as outsiders and insiders? Now, quickly, you know, we, we might just quickly respond and be like, well, no, of course, I don't do that. But don't we? Sometimes? Who's are they? Oh, I know that family. Oh, oh, wait, where are they from? Oh, yeah, from there. We can, we can easily develop our own preconceived notions about people based upon whether it is, yeah, skin color, sexual preference, uh, their, their economic standing, the family that they came from, where they came from. But Boaz was better than that because he saw value in every single human being. Why? Because God does. Who do they belong to? They belong to us because they belong to God. You know, Mother's Day really provides a litmus test for how we love those that might be hurting, those that might be forgotten, those that might be ostracized or judged. We ought to be asking ourselves uh, this Mother's Day weekend questions like, well, who, who does the widow belong to, right? We ought to be asking, who does the orphan belong to on this Mother's Day weekend, we ought to be asking, who does the, the couple that's struggling with infertility, who do they belong to? Who's coming alongside them? Who does the divorcee belong to this weekend? And who does the grieving mom that's lost a child or the grieving child that's lost a mother, who do they belong to? Man, you guys, I hope that the posture of our heart our words and our very actions reflect Boaz in this, that we loudly proclaim with our words but with our lives. They belong to us because they belong to God. We're here for them. So in our remaining time, I want us to think together about a couple opportunities where we can live more like Boaz. The first one, it's literally, I mean, talk about 
literal application of God's word to your life and my life today. Ruth was a foreigner in, in the land. Boaz chose to show kindness and love and care to her. This summer, we will have hundreds of international students, foreigners, coming in to Sandusky, Ohio. They'll be working at Kalahari and Cedar Point, and there might not be as many that are able to come this season because of all the travel restrictions, but there will still be many of them here. And the question is, who's going to love them? Whose are they? Well, they're ours because they belong to God. They're just looking for, for, for people to connect with, for somebody, a, a family, a, an individual, somebody to, to give them a little bit of the American experience. And out in the lobby today, there's, there's a table and there's a display, and you'll see there how you can get involved. You can fill out an application. You can ask your questions there. It does, listen, you're not going to be like tied up like housing an international student for the summer. It's just befriending somebody that is looking to be friended. It, it, it means just inviting them into your everyday life. It, it means just uh, you're going on a picnic, just giving them a call and saying, hey, we're going on a picnic. Do you want to come? If you're, if you're cooking out, you just say, hey, you want to come over and cook out with us? If you're going to a ball game, invite them to the ball game with you. And here's the thing, you guys. What they're looking for is an American experience, and you can provide that, but man, there's so much more. We have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to give a foreigner, an international, a Jesus experience. To be like Boaz. To show love and kindness to the foreigner. And there's one other way that I want to challenge us as a church. Uh, several months ago, we shared our 2023 vision, where we want to go as a, as a chapel family over these next three years. And we've identified six vision roots where we want to grow deeper together. The very first one is build a culture of family. You know what a family does? A family loves each other. You know what a family is? A family is a place where everybody belongs. It's a place where everybody feels valued. And we're a big church, and we've got work to do in this area, you guys. We can't let people just come in and get lost in the crowd. Because every single person from out there or within here that's struggling, that feels alone, that feels like an outcast, belongs to him. And we ought to value them because they're valuable to God. Just a couple weeks ago, you know, as people start to return to church and, you know, people have been cautious and careful. Every weekend, I, I, I see new people at the door. Oh, first time back. So good to be back. And we're so glad for them to be back. And one gentleman walked in and he took his normal seat where he always sat with his wife, only this time he was alone because he lost his wife this last year and it was his first time coming to church and having nobody to sit next to him but then the most beautiful thing happened someone got their eyes off of themselves and noticed you you guys you know how many people just want to be noticed People here right now that are sitting alone. People here that maybe nobody's ever talked to them. 
And this couple, they saw him. And they went over and sat down with him. And now every weekend, there they are with him. Why? Because that widower, he belongs to us. Because he belongs to God. God is calling us to be like Boaz. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this incredible story written so long ago in a completely different culture and yet so relevant for all of us here today, right now. God, I pray for anyone here today that's hurting or lonely or feels like nobody notices. Help us to do better. Help us to be like Boaz. And God, I pray that you would help every single one of us get our eyes off of ourselves, that we would walk into this place every weekend, not just thinking, oh, I, I'm ready for a good sermon, or I, I hope they sing some good songs that I like, but help us have our eyes open and to be here not just for ourselves, but to walk in saying, someone here needs me today to be their Boaz, to show love and kindness when they need it the most. Help us to be your hands and feet, Jesus. To that end, we pray and ask for your help, and we ask that you give us opportunities. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, stop out at the, at the table, find out about um, our Global Friendship Partners opportunity. You guys have an awesome rest of your Mother's Day weekend.